so I keep looking for you around the neighborhood. Like every yeah. time, every time I'm out and around, like especially when I I go through your part of the hood, my head is like on a swivel for like when I'm gonna run into you just out and around. Oh yeah, walking the dog. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's 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 strange because like now I've got to look. I, I still have to look for people like from the nose up, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You got to remember what my glasses look like. It'll happen one day. You know, I'll be going to the library. You'll be walking the dog, and we'll just it'll, it'll be like, hey, there we go. That's as it should be. As it should be. Welcome back to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you are listening to episode 269 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast on my movie loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. We are back, baby. After a short hiatus, which felt like a lifetime, thanks to all the goings on that it entailed, we are ready to launch a whole new season of this show. We are settled into our new home and uh, ready to talk about a film because through all the chaos that our world has become, we are still getting new films. I almost can't believe it. I don't know about you, man, but I'm ready for the, like the rug to get yanked out at any second. I feel like I'm over that at this point, which is probably setting me up for failure, but you know, <laughs> like, I, I'll say I literally, I just did TIFF. Right. And with the advantage of both living now right next to the Lightbox and, and Scotiabank, and with having a press pass, yeah, I saw uh, thirty-eight films. So you're you're all you're, you, you so like. So I'm just like I'm like yeah. I'm like done. Yeah, you I'm gorged. Finished. You're okay. Like you you've, you've stockpiled <laughs> for like at least another like, six months. I, whatever whatever like lingering things I had, I was just like just got it. You know. Yeah. Beat it to death. Yeah. Of course. So of course we can't do this alone and we've already tipped our hand. We need a guest. I, when I went looking for guests, I decided to stay close to home and ask an old friend who is now a new neighbor. His writing can be found all over the damned place. The voice you've heard already. Corey Atad is here. How are you, Corey Atad? I'm very well. Very well. That's good. You're keeping well. Everybody's all right. Oh yes. Yeah. That's good. Safe and sound. Very good. Good to hear. On episode 269, we will be discussing Tatan. We'll be flipping the record over play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Corey. This is Know Your Enemy. Corey first appeared on episode 65 where we talked about the remake of Total Recall. Oh. Is, yeah. Oh you, <laughs> the subject of the films that we Why'd you cover. Why did you do that? Oh my goodness. Why did we I thought, agree to that? Uh, we thought it was going to be fun. You know, had Brian <sighs> yeah. Cranston, you know, sure. yeah. we, we thought it was going to be okay. Shot in Toronto? Shot yeah. in Toronto. Yeah. You know, yeah, some local some representation. Stuff, some... We learned on that show, the first film he ever saw in a theater was Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. The last film he'd seen at the time was Punch Drunk Love. The worst film he's ever seen is Across the Universe. His unseen classic or essential was Tokyo Story. He has since seen it. And the film he wished he made was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Corey returned on episode 99. We righted the ship and talked about the Broken Circle breakdown. We learned that the film everybody else hates that he digs is War Horse. No surprise there. The film everybody else likes that he doesn't is Playtime. The last movie to make him cry was Lucky Star. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Tommy McGuire. And the next movie he was watching by something by Frank Borsegi. He had a, a box set of some sort that he was digging into. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's on the shelf. The listeners don't have video, but it's right there behind the bar. <laughs> awesome. Corey returned in episode 166. We talked about Moonlight. So see, there, there you go. Like I started you really rough. 
with mm-hmm. Total Recall, mm-hmm. but then we've we've taken a very sharp turn to the quality in in your subsequent three appearances. Yeah. We learned the film that to make his love of film turn a corner is The Fellowship of the Ring. His first date movie is Pirates of the Caribbean. His sick day movie is the 2009 version of Star Trek. The last movie to leave him speechless was Manchester by the Sea. And his epitaph would be shot in the back by Buford Tannen over a matter of $80. Yeah. Well played. So it's time for round four. Mr. Atad, what is a film you really dig, but you never want to watch again? My answer to that is a funny one. Um, because it's actually one I've considered watching again for a specific reason, which I'll, I'll explain in a second. The answer is Dear Zachary. Uh, okay. A letter to a son from his father. I think yes. Subtitle. Yeah. I'm sure you know the documentary. Have you seen it? I know it. I still haven't seen it. It's been on my to okay. watch list forever and a day. I'm, I'm thinking about like laminating it on my to watch list. It's very easy to find, I'm pretty sure, on streaming, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, yeah. if not find it anyway, excellent, excellent, just amazing documentary. Basically it's a movie made by a guy who had a friend who died and he's making uh, a documentary, uh, about the father meant for the son, just to kind of be like, this is what your father, who your father was and what he was like. And you know, what a guy he was and all of that. But there is a lot of extremely dark stuff that then happens in the documentary uh it takes some very dark turns i'll put it that way and uh it's the kind of movie that like you watch it once it's extremely well made makes you extremely angry extremely upsetting and you never want to see again there's a lot of documentaries i've come across like that like incredible pieces of filmmaking incredible storytelling but it's like you 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 swallow that pill and it's like i i'm good you know like i this will i will carry this with me the rest of my life but i i can't bring myself unless it's for like study purposes or something like that i couldn't bring myself to go back there i think i think dear zachary is a bit of a special case because often with documentaries that are like that it really is just a matter of like okay you know it's it's informing you about a subject i don't know you're watching a documentary about some genocide somewhere or something and you're like okay i don't want to i've learned what i learned and i don't need to watch that again the thing about dear zachary is that as a piece of like art and it's an incredible documentary it's 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 really really quite a feat of filmmaking and so you almost want to watch it again except Mm. for then you have to confront what's in the documentary and so you don't want to watch it again uh funny enough uh my friend soraya roberts uh, she has a column uh, at Defector where essentially she talks about all of the deranged movies that she enjoys rewatching for some reason because right. she is deranged. By the time this comes out, she will have written a piece about how she enjoys rewatching Dear Zachary, which has her talking about it to me has made me think like, you know, it's maybe been I should go time. back. Maybe right. I should rewatch it and, <laughs> and then put it away for another like you know decade. Gotcha. Uh, or more. I don't remember oh, when it boy. came out, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I, like I, I, it's been on my list for far too long. I do need to see it's, it. It's I, quite I've, a thing. Yeah. 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 I can't, I can only imagine. I, I imagine it's uh every time somebody mentions dear Zachary, my brain goes to that really crummy nineties movie with Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman called my life, where he's recording videos for like his baby 
that's oh. going to grow up like without him. Yeah, I have not. <laughs> I, just, I have not seen. No, that, it's yeah. it's like yeah, it, it's it's the bad version of this same idea. So yeah. it's but it's just yeah. my brain. My brain's like that would make a great double feature, and in, in, and I use great <laughs> in the complete opposite way. Well, maybe great in terms of like showing the gulf between a bad yes, movie and a good one. That exactly. Uh, all right, I got to get on that. So thank you for yeah. the reminder. I'll make a point of it. Uh, Corey Tad, what is a film that genuinely freaked you out? The big one is is Hereditary. Uh, I've since seen it a couple more times, but um, I saw it at a sort of advanced screening at the light box that Ari Aster was there for, for like a Q and a, and you know, the movie was great. It was very scary and all of that. It was scary on a level that I've literally never experienced before. And the reason I can say that definitively is because I was literally having like some kind of like very serious adrenaline rush while I was watching the movie essentially a version of a panic attack, I guess, uh, very low level, but the kind of thing where like, I literally could feel, uh, my skin tingling. And I don't mean like, Oh, you know, figuratively, I mean, literally I could feel my (laughs) skin tingling. And I was like worried that something was physically wrong with me that I was having like, (laughs) and, and I, I must've been, um, that's how freaked out I was by it. What rewatching it, it's still scary. I'm not, I didn't have that reaction a second time, but mm-hmm. yeah, that first time I watched it. Horrifying. It's, it's yeah. such an affecting movie because it, it's, it's so interwoven with anxiety and with grief yeah. and, you know, like family drama. Like it, it goes, it goes bananas yeah. in, in several occasions, but before it gets there, you're just, it just, puts your whole body on it and like you said like literally in your case um it's it's funny because when we podcasted about that one uh on whatever episode of the matinee cast it was my guest uh carolyn hines couldn't actually finish the movie like she pieced out uh, I think I think about reaction. two I think about two scenes early like one scene early for sure if yeah. not two scenes early and I actually had to tell her within the course of the podcast what happened at the end I do remember that screen I mean that was a great screening in general and and one of the things I remember was um there's the bit where she's on the ceiling which I'm sure yeah. you know oh yeah it happens a couple times but there's the first the first time that it happens and the shot is like this long shot and you sort of suddenly notice that in the dark she's like up there yeah and you know sold out show you could hear people in the audience notice her at different times so right. you hear like a scream and then like a second later, another scream. And yeah. I've never seen something like that no. in a movie before. Like it, it's just, you know, that is one of the things that like, I do enjoy about seeing scary movies is, is the, the shared reaction. Like you only get that with like comedy with comedy and horror. I, I do love yeah. that. So yeah. yeah, good choice. That, that is, that is one freaky movie. It's been a minute since I watched that one. And I, I kind of need to go back cause I do enjoy the hell out of that movie. It's, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, on the opposite side of the spectrum, Corey, Tad, what is a movie that always makes you laugh? Uh, the answer to that would have to be dumb and dumber, (laughs) which Uh, (laughs) I don't know if it needs any more explanation. It's just, no, it's, it's it's dumb and dumber. It's like nothing but laughs, barrel of laughs. I, you know, I usually assume you as being so highbrow. I thought you were going to come at me with like some existential French thing or something like that. No, first of all, the French can't make comedy. That's not (laughs) a thing that you want. Send your Uh, emails to Coria Ted. Yeah. French directors and comedy shouldn't mix. Um, But no, dumb and dumb. I mean, come on. It's just like, it's, it's one of the great films. It's one of the great films of all time. 
and oh, also boy. just incredibly funny. Uh, the the funny thing is when I first saw that movie, I was late to the party. Like I didn't see that one when it was first released, and I heard everybody talking about how it was like so hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I think I watched it by myself. Like I watched it on on video, and I was like, I don't. It's okay, I guess. Yeah, so that I like I had the, I, I had the double barrel was- of. I was a kid. Yeah. We, oh, well, there's that. We had it recorded off of a TV station in Israel, so it was uncut, but it had commercials. commercials. Right. I must have worn that tape out. It was yeah, just that's awesome on repeat. And I still can watch it. It's- yeah, it, it always makes me giggle now, but it just that was that was the wrong combination to watch it the first time yeah. of hearing how everybody talked about how it was so funny and then oh, watching yeah. it alone. That was a terrible idea. Um, all right, yeah, Dumb and Dumber. You no more explanation needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey, what is your favorite movie soundtrack? Uh, so uh, I'm going to annoy you on this one. You're going to choose also, more than one, aren't you? It is also Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's, just, yeah. it's just front to back, great songs. A lot of them 90s tracks, some 80s in there as well. Uh, kind of a, kind of like a perfect, sort of a perfect encapsulation of a certain kind of alternative rock of the time that but not like too intense just kind of you know there's some crash test dummies in there there's some uh proclaimers in there who does new age girl new age girl is the track that i remember the most yes yeah uh, i'm i'm blanking on it now but yes that's a great track it's just like a great it's a great soundtrack and it's one that that i can listen to on its own but also in the movie in context you know, it's not like Garden State or something where it really rests on the soundtrack, but right. there's something about the soundtrack to to Dumb and Dumber that really just kind of sets this perfect tone, a good vibe in that movie. It, it's I, I don't know, like I I didn't see the sequel, um, <laughs> but I saw some clips from it, and one of the things that I noted was like, oh yeah, the songs. It's not the same. It doesn't. No. It doesn't have the same feeling. That whole era of soundtracking is really very, very gone and kind of never coming yeah. back. Like the the closest you get to that is, you know, you mentioned Garden State and you'll get a movie where the director or the soundtrack supervisor really wants to put together a good mixtape. Like the yeah. tone is super duper duper important. So you get like that kind of soundtrack the, or the closest you, you get to that in recent times is, is some stuff on TV. So you'll get like yeah. the OC famously, but Grey's Anatomy had a Grey's Anatomy yeah. was like really trying for it. But like the OC literally had like the OC, I think, they might even call the mixtapes, but the, I, I the think sort so. of soundtrack releases. So yeah. you get that kind of soundtrack or you'll get a soundtrack where you can tell they had like a budget with like no ceiling. Yeah. Um, the DC movies are usually um, this kind of thing. Yeah. Robert Zemeckis movies are strangely usually this kind of thing. Cameron, Trying to wow uh, you with the cuts as opposed yeah. to just creating a vibe. Yeah. 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 So it's, you don't get those kind of, 80s and 90s soundtracks where it's this little odd mishmash of b-sides and songs that were like super duper uh close to somebody but not everybody i mean like it's it's weird to think that there was once a time where i'm gonna be 500 miles wasn't overplayed and yet, you yeah. know, Betty Although and June was proclaimed. It's a different proclaimer. Well, no, it's different. That, you know, it's yeah. different. But I mean, like, that's yeah, yeah. the thing is that that song gets dropped onto a soundtrack four years after its its album comes out, and then yeah. it becomes this huge hit. You know what I'm well, saying? The, the interesting thing in in Dumb and Dumber is that one of the songs I really associate with it is there's a. a it's not even in the soundtrack for very long, but uh, Red Right Hand yeah. is in it. 
and uh, it's kind of when he's when he gets conned by the old lady in the motorized cart. Right. And uh, uh, so it plays for just a bit, and I associate that song so heavily with that movie. <laughs> And of course, I think most people, when they associate it with a movie, associate it with Scream. But yeah. I saw Scream later. It, yeah, so yeah, yeah. to me, it's like that—that's Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, yeah. No, you know that's that's and that's the thing you can't you can't steal another movie's can't steal another movie's cue. Yeah, they tried. Scream came later. They I know. tried. Uh, last but not least, for now, Corey, what is a film you love but seemingly nobody has heard of? So for this, I'm going to go back to the Boys Dumb and Dumber. Me. No, <laughs> that'd be amazing, though. Have you heard of this movie? <laughs> you know what? Some sometimes somebody's going to do that to me. I mean, um. <laughs> uh, no, in this case, I'll go back to the Frank Borzaghi well, uh, okay. which I've done uh, a couple of times, uh, as you read off. Uh, Lucky Star, I mentioned once, and 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 the Borzaghi box set. Um, he has uh, sort of a trilogy of films. Uh, but there's one in particular called Little Man What Now, which I, I really love. Um, so it's, it's part of a, a trio of movies that he made over a number of years in the 30s, essentially about life in Germany at that time. And so it's it, comedy. Uh, no, they're <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Little Man What Now is a very like uh, uplifting movie like very uplifting movie the other two in the trio are uplifting in their way but but sort of a bit darker um uh so the other two there's a, a movie called three comrades and then there's the final one that he made is the mortal storm which has a very interesting history in that it's the movie that got warner brothers movies banned by the nazis oh. uh because it was sort of basically pretty openly uh, about the rise of of uh, the Nazis and 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 fascism in Germany, and sort of that trio of movies sort of charts the situation in Germany and the rise of of, uh, of fascism. Little Man, what now doesn't have so much of the fascism stuff, but it sort of gets at the economic situation for a lot of people at the time, and it's you know basically it's Margaret Sullivan and uh, and this other actor's name I'm blanking on. Um, and you know, he's just trying to provide for his wife and they have to move in with his mom at one point, And that's a bit of a thing. And, uh, and you know, there's some stuff that happens in it, but it's mostly just this kind of tale of like these, these two lovers kind of beating the odds and has a really beautiful moving uplifting ending and, uh, just a incredibly wonderful movie. Um, I was lucky enough to see it. Uh, I mean, I'd already seen it a few times, but they showed it at the Toronto Jewish Film Festival hmm. uh, on a 35 millimeter print a, a oh, few wow. years back. And that was a great opportunity. But yeah, that's that's a movie that like, I believe someone's uploaded it to YouTube. Probably. Uh, so you can probably find it there. Just a marvelous, marvelous movie. And, and people should also check out Three Comrades, which also has Margaret Sullivan. And then The Mortal Storm, which has... Margaret Sullivan and Jimmy Stewart kind of playing against each other again after uh, shop around the corner. So oh, well, the, yeah. now, now I'm, yeah, now I'm definitely yeah, sold. Definitely check those out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where there's a lot of films um, 
you know, as, as everybody gets older and as rights kind of get passed around, there's a lot of films which just kind of fade from consciousness and it has nothing to do with how good they are or, or who made them or anything like that or who's even in them. Sometimes yeah. it's just, you know, we, we kind of keep coming back to the same like 1000 titles and all these other ones just kind of trickle away both from like the present and the past. So that's, that's one of yeah. the reasons why I like to ask this question is, Every once in a while, somebody mentions something that's, you know, not from the last five or six years, and and I end up going down a rabbit hole. Well, Borzegi in particular, I mean, I'm a big evangelist for him. I, I discovered him thanks to some people on, on a forum years and years ago now, uh, probably like 2008, 2009 era. And uh, and the, the thing about him, he's an interesting figure because he was a contemporary of, uh, and friends with people, like, so he... he uh, was at Fox at the same time as Murnau when Murnau made Sunrise and 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 you oh, know wow. did some of that amazing work and he was very much influenced uh, in his visual style from that uh, from Murnau but he was also a contemporary of John Ford uh, hmm. and they were very good friends um, and and he was at the time Borzegi was one of the most beloved most respected directors of that period but. First off, he he kind of fell off a bit because he just worked a lot for the studios and did a lot of just like, you know, schlock. not great, not schlock, but sort of just like not great, especially in that era in the 30s. There's just there's assembly of, line kind of movies. There's a lot of great movies in the 30s, but there's also a lot of like, you know, just these talkies that they pumped yeah, yeah. out. And, and so some, a lot of the stuff he made wasn't as good at that time. And also he personally had a, had a, a style that was very much like a philosophical approach that he had to filmmaking, uh, which is that, you know, I think he was a religious man and he was very much a believer in the transformative power of love. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure I mentioned this in the last time I talked about him on the show. It's been a few years, it, so it's okay. But, like, know, me, last, time, last time we were talking about Moonlight, so go totally. ahead. <laughs> so, so, the, so the thing is, like, it's not... It, he believes in that truly. So you see the ending of something like Little Man, What Now? And it has the whole like light coming down and just like, it's so, you know, uh, bold in its, in its sort of sentimentality um, that I think at a certain point that just fell out of fashion. And I think it's still quite out of fashion. Um, but at the same time, I mean, this is a director who, who, I've noticed has been mentioned more and more recently. There was several years ago, UCLA did a big retrospective of his stuff. Um, and more and more people on, on critics and stuff on Twitter will mention him. And it's because he does have a place in that history. He was there uh, at the same, at, at Fox at the same time as Murnau. He made these amazing silent films. He uh, was the first filmmaker to win best director and he won best director, I think twice or three times. Um, I think twice. Uh, so he he's he has a place in film history, and and I have noticed that he's become more and more discovered, but still not discovered enough. He's just an extraordinary director. His silent films, especially in the late twenties, just at the end of the silent era, incredible. And then throughout his career, he has a bunch of talkies that are very very good, uh, including one that was put out by the Criterion Collection called uh, Moonrise. Not moonlight, but moonrise. Moonrise, right? Uh, that is just a gorgeous kind of noirish. Uh, has a bit of a storybook 
uh, visual quality, almost reminiscent of Night of the Hunter, but predating Night of the Hunter. Okay. Um, just incredible movie. But so I Frank Borzaghi, yeah. Little Man, What Now? Those are the uh, two. I bet you there's probably a really good book on him. I, I'm, I'm going to be curious to there, like. There is by a Swiss uh, writer. Oh, so it should uh, be really easy Swiss, to find. Yeah. Well, they often carry it at the light box, uh, oh. but I have a copy that I can lend to you. So. Oh, look at that. That all worked out beautifully. Well, yeah. there we go. That's a whole bunch about Corey. Um, we uh, will learn more about him when we get him back on the show. Hopefully this time it will not take me five years in between episodes. Um, yeah, I didn't so realize it had been. Uh, it, it's so been, I mean, you came and did one of the, um, one of the Winchester Chronicles in between oh, there, yes, but yeah, on a full blown yeah. episode, it's, it's been a minute. Uh, so in returning off of our hiatus, uh, your your fearless podcast host has gone and done something spectacularly stupid because mm-hmm. we have chosen a movie to talk about today that I really feel if you are going to sit down and watch this movie, you should go in blind. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe watch the trailer for however much the trailer actually tells you. I promise you, it really doesn't tell you that much. Uh, but as far as going into the film, you should really know as little as possible. However, the flip side of it is we can't talk about it without talking about it as a complete so welcome back from a hiatus now if you haven't seen this movie please tune out and come back in two weeks we are going to talk about Titan after this we're going to spoil the holy heck out of it come on right back to talk about a french movie Satan is written and directed by Julia de Cournot. It stars Agatha Roussel, Vincent Linden, and Lai Salome. And it's hard to summarize the plot of this movie in less than the length of this podcast. So I'm going to turn to Letterboxd, which describes it thus. Following a series of unexplained crimes, a former firefighter is reunited with his son, who has been missing for 10 years. That describes this movie, but it also does not describe this movie, and we'll get into why and how in due time. Uh, There are a lot of words that have been used to describe Tatan. Shocking is a word that's been used to describe Tatan, which is appropriate, considering that at both of its TIFF public screenings, patrons required medical attention. Dirty is another word that's been used, uh, considering the amount of sex and violence this film implies. Stylish, intense, crazy, original, all of these words would both apply and many more. So let's keep it simple. Pop quiz, Hotshot. If you were to describe Tatan in one word, what word would you choose? Funny. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Explain. It's very funny. It's a very funny movie. And I want to state that up front because... I've seen some reactions to the movie, particularly negative ones, although not only negative ones, where people seem to be taking it, maybe because it won the Palme d'Or, I don't know. People seem to be taking it as like a very severe, serious kind of a thriller, horror, melodrama, whatever you want to call it, missing the fact that it's often very humorous. Now, very dark at the same time. Oh, yes. And maybe depending on your predilections, you're not laughing out loud during it. But I can tell you, I saw it at Midnight Madness at TIFF, a lot of laughter. 
Wobble after. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, like, there, there are, there are moments that are just so absurd that you can't help but laugh. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. You know, if somebody's looking for a merry up movie after Dumb and Dumber, well, I, mean, I don't know. It's not, going yeah, to it's, it's, it's not Dumb and Dumber. But, um, you know, I would actually go with respectful as a word for all of its absurdity, for all of its just pure audacity. Like, this is mm. the film that has the nerve to go into a lot of strange places. It is very respectful, both of the story of Mm. the characters of their relationships and of us, that it's not going to do all of this just to beat us up. You know what I mean? Like this is not a movie that's interested in pulverizing its audience into submission. This is actually Mm -hmm. a movie that really wants to, um, embrace the audience that wants to gather them into this very unique situation and reward it, reward the characters and reward yeah. us for going on this very singular journey. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I would also add to that. I mean, respectful is a word. Um, I would say that it's quite a sweet movie actually. Um, uh, which is another thing I think I've seen, I've seen mentioned by some detractors that it sort of has like a almost like saccharine, like not that the tone of the movie is saccharine, but that that sort of it it does it's not actually a challenging movie in the end because it falls back on sort of saccharine relationship beats and things like that. That's a feature, not a bug to me. I mean, yeah, I, I've seen the movie compared to you know the sort of new French extremity fr- films like martyrs uh, also to like French extremity extremity adjacent, like uh, trouble every day. The, uh, the Claire Denis film, uh, the new French extremity sometimes was like provocative for provocative sake, uh, provocation sake. I think this movie has at its core, like when you read that letterboxed plot synopsis. Yeah. I mean, it, it does not represent the film very well. Uh, but there is something accurate about it beyond just the plot elements that it's describing. I think that there is a way in which um, I- I've had this conversation with some people where it feels a little bit like those uh, sort of warm hearted dramas that were a little bit funny from like the 80s and 90s, like the sort of James Brooks ripoffs. Like right. there's, if you just take the bones of the plot, like, OK, you have this this character who who has some issues that she's dealing with. And she forms this sort of parent parent child relationship with this uh, man who's grieving the, 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 his missing son. And, and the movie plays that out. Honestly, I think like it, it, it um, like you said, it's respectful. It's respectful to that aspect of the way that the characters are engaging with each other. It just also happens that there's all this other uh, kind of completely crazy stuff on top of it. Um, you know, I think what's probably the ballsiest thing about this movie is it takes this opening 30 minutes at least, maybe maybe 40 minutes, where we follow Alexia through, you know, her accident as a child, and we learn that she's now this like dancer, model, uh, you know, stripper, type yeah, stripper, sort of, you know, yeah. hybrid, um, who also happens to think nothing of killing people, uh, if, yeah. if, if that's what need be. And she has to flee. Not Hold if on. needs be. 
need does be yes she and she, I, ki- she kills people because she also yeah, wants to <laughs> right and oh yeah she stoops a car and becomes pregnant by that act okay jams all yes. of that into like 35 40 minutes yeah and then in the second half more or less abandons all of that like your past is your past and you are now in this situation um you know like she is she is now like dealing with the you know the the reality of becoming pregnant by automobile and yeah. tr- while and, and, while hiding her identity and while, her gender yeah uh, so or her sex i guess yeah yeah she um, is hi- she is hiding that entire first half like i mean that that takes some real audacity to take a first half of a movie and say that is my past you know, we are. I don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. I am this person. This right. other person sees me as this person. That's just we put that behind us. And I'm like, okay, you know, this is not, you know, this is not Don Draper saying I was Dick Whitman. This is some. This well, is trying to put something in a much bigger into a much smaller box. But and it's amazing. Why, this is why I point out that it's a very funny movie because in that situation it's not like as an audience you've forgotten you know that what the situation is and there's just a lot of scenes where it's like close calls and they're often played for it's not played for like suspense like oh no is she gonna get found out this is like really scary it's actually played as like funny that people don't notice what's going on with her or maybe they notice and don't mind which is also funny in its way um but again there's like a there's there's sort of an element of heart to it that i that i really enjoyed and i just found it very entertaining i mean it was like like i said i saw it at midnight madness opening night midnight madness and it was just like a fun time to watch a movie that takes you on a real ride and goes to unexpected places there are two performances at the center of this movie that are both incredible in very very different ways um you know first we have agatha roussel who is doing a lot I mean, she is Very physical performance. It's yeah. an incredibly physical performance. It's got elements of everything from Barbara Streisand to uh, Nomi Rapace, um, mm-hmm. but but not in ways that mimic either one of them. Like it is a very, very singular performance. Uh, she is asked to do a lot of different things in this movie some of them ugly some of them again very very sweet i i don't know about you i this is my introduction to roussel had you seen her in anything else i don't think so i mean it's possible but i didn't recognize her yeah yeah she's incredible considering where she comes into this movie and where she leaves it like she she runs the gamut in between um and and is asked to do pretty much everything i can think of for for an actor in a movie she's quite incredible it's also interesting to note that for most of the movie she's silent she doesn't talk almost at all Uh, in the early part she talks a bit more but even that not very much and then once she uh hooks up uh you know once the plot kicks in with vincent landon um very little talking uh and so a lot of it is is sort of centered on her face um looks between characters um, you know, the, again, the physical performance, cause there's a lot of body horror in the film and, uh, you know, a lot of that's down to the effects and the makeup and all of that. But, but she also sort of embodies this, you know, you, you've got a character who's pregnant with the child 
of a, of a car. So there's like, instead of blood coming out, there's like oil and her skin's yeah. peeling off. And, you know, it's pretty sick stuff, I suppose. Although it's quite it, fascinating to watch. Like it, it looks very interesting. And, uh, and, and yeah, she, she kind of like holds it together performance wise, because I think there's a way that you can play some of those types of effects. So some of those makeup sort of body horror effects yeah. where it's really just the effect that's doing the job you feel for her at some point you're just like what she's doing to her body feels like really horrendous mm -hmm. um but yeah it's uh and that, i mean that's the thing is we say this aloud and we, mm -hmm. we we write it on the page and it should not work like you know if you hand this film to i'd say at least 19 out of 20 directors it is gonna be hot garbage yeah the way that everybody involved kind of cuts to the core of the movie and says, it's not this, you know, yeah, we know that people are passing out watching it. And yeah, we know that it's really violent and, and really, you know, traumatizing and sometimes, and yeah, we know that this woman stoops a car. Yeah. It's not those. It is this other thing that is about family and about belonging and about like, identity and and mm -hmm. everything it's it's about that even though it's got all this other stuff in it mm -hmm. like it that's a really hard trick to pull off i think that she uh julia de Curno, she's a very intelligent director oh yeah in my mind um and i don't just say that because this movie is good i also saw her previous film raw which also has some quite upsetting body horror elements mm -hmm. about cannibalism mm -hmm. yep um that's also i i really liked that movie uh, I've actually been meaning to go back to it because I had some issues with that movie that I think having watched Titan and getting a bit more of a sense of what it is that, that DeCurno is doing, that maybe if I go back to Raw, even the things that I didn't appreciate so much might click into place a bit more. Sure. Um, it was also, I think, her first movie. So, you know, it's not uh, outrageous that that she's developing and improving. I think that she has a very keen sense of sort of the way in which cinema can do, especially in the realm of horror, can do sort of provocative, uh, very upsetting things, but that those things not only uh, can be acceptable on screen if they're part of a story, um, they can sort of fold into the story in a way where in some senses, the details of them don't matter. It's more the situations that they create and reflect. Yeah. That makes sense. So it does. I mean, I was actually there with raw because I saw like, I, I was late to raw. I think I only saw it this year. If I didn't yeah. see it this year, I saw it late last year and I'd heard so much about how shocking it was and, and how, you know, upsetting and everything. And it is to be clear, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. because I was coming in with that in mind, I was able to focus on the parts that weren't shocking mm -hmm. and upsetting. And that was what I was mm -hmm. more drawn to was these notes in between. Mm -hmm. So uh, that that's, that's a really, really uh, beautiful and unique approach to filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, I think Titan pushes it to a degree where, the stuff that, you know, in Raw, it's more tied into the to the character. I think in, in Titan, there's a, a way in which it doesn't actually need to be as kind of provocative as it is, mm -hmm. I, I suppose. Um, you could make a version of it that's sort of toned down. But I think the excess of it is 
is part of what allows you to then write off the excess in a way. Right. It's, it's like, first of all, I think that people who are very into horror, who like really watch a lot of it and who are okay with squeamish things, I don't think that it's actually that bad. Like, you know, there's moments that are definitely make you go like, you know, tense up or whatever, yeah. but it's not like crazy compared to other things that I've seen in movies, right? It's no. not doing anything like super new yeah. um, in, in that regard. But, uh, but I think just the amount of it and the excess of it and the absurdity of it, I think the absurdity is key. I yeah. think like in raw, there's moments where it tips over into the absurd, but for the most part, it, it's kind of played um, a little bit more kind of pulled back in Titan, Like at, even before the point where, where she's, you know, fucking a car literally. So the opening scene is like, it's not funny exactly, but but the way in which she is a little girl who's you know involved in this car crash basically because she's distracting her dad you know it tips beyond uh you know just an annoying kid in the car so it's like it's your typical annoying kid in the car dad gets distracted and there's a car accident she hits her head and i think in a nor in even in a, a normal horror version of this it's the accident that would have caused, you know, the brain damage would have caused her to be the way that she is. But you get the sense that she was like that before the accident. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. There's something like deranged about this this kid. Yeah. And there's something really absurd about the way that that's played out on screen. And I think that she has a handle as a director on how to push that abs- that absurdity. So that you get these moments of like horror, catharsis, squeamishness, comedy, all of that together in this stew that then again, like I said, sort of allows you to sort of, at some point you just go like, okay, I'm just going to go with it. And yeah. I'm going to, and then where it takes you is this quite, again, quite affecting relationship between her and, and, and this man who's grieving his son, um, you know, she, she comes in at at the point where she needs to sort of hide her identity because she's done a little bit too much murdering. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, she sees like, Oh, there's this guy who's like looking for his lost son. who has been missing for like 11 years. And like, I can pull off like maybe looking like him and, you know, and, and what's interesting is that the moment where you see Vincent Landon's character, see her. Yeah thinking perhaps that it's the son um it's not entirely clear if at that point he knows that it's not the son or not um but it almost doesn't matter because there's a look on his face when he sees her in the waiting room or whatever it is like through the glass that again is like it's almost it's comical because it's so absurd but it's also affecting because you see this father who's like after all these years in such a deep state of grief, but also hope that he could see his son again. And all he needs is someone to come forward and say, I'm your son. And he's going to accept it because that's how much he wants his child back. Um, It's, I don't know. There's a, there's a power to that. It's, 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 it's beautiful. Well, there's a power because both people in this equation, like it's, it's a very, very, difficult equation to get to where both of these people need safe harbor in a storm. Like she Mm. has done 
a lot of stupid and a lot of murdering and needs to really get off the grid, even though she is flummoxing local police as to who is mm-hmm. killing these people because who expects the stripper nobody ever mm-hmm. expects the stripper and he needs closure and or hope mm-hmm. that his family is not gone his wife has basically left him or mm-hmm. she has left him his other son it's just a you know it's it's, it's mostly just a professional relationship like they're not close and yeah. he he needs something to hold on to so yeah these two things come together in this moment and and she's like yeah i can hide with you and he's like yeah you can stand in for my son and Mm -hmm. what i love about it is it commits to that on both sides this film doesn't play it as well when's he gonna find out that she's not really his son or when is she gonna get caught it's like no no no. this is now the new reality yeah and we're gonna stay with this there's definitely a tension involved, particularly because she's pregnant. So yeah. like she's growing bigger and bigger and, and not only bigger and bigger, but she has having all these, again, body horror kind of things yeah. going on with her. So there is, there is sort of a, a and, a, and again, it's an absurd tension. Those scenes are often very funny when she's like almost being caught or whatever. Like there, there's kind of a, a comical, like you could see a version of that without all the horror elements in just a comedy, just oh, you sure. know, like it, yeah. it has that, that kind so- of, Style. It's like three's company. It was all one big misunderstanding. Exactly. You know, it's interesting because her need for him begins as just pure, like, uh, like a literal need. Like I need like to get away from the police. So like yeah. safe I harbor to hide. Right. Um, but at some point it becomes a little bit more than that, where she seems to, for the first time in her life, allow a degree of vulnerability with another person. Um, and I think that that's tied in, you know, I, I don't know if it's even trying to make a commentary on gender uh, and sex. Oh, I think it's absolutely trying to make a commentary on gender and sex. It's definitely playing with gender and sex as themes. I don't know how much it's making sort of an overt statement about those things. I think that to the extent that it might be, there's a way in which it's embracing a fluidity uh, of of gender and sex, which is you know uh, cool. So I don't think that the film pathologizes her, other than to say no. that like clearly she's like a mad woman killing people. Yes, right? but like, but I don't think it pathologizes. I don't think it tells you well she's like clearly a psychopath, and so she's unable to feel because she feels at certain points. Oh yes, but it's also not saying like oh she's like a woman trapped uh, in a man's body who who like now is able to express. It's not about that right the her connection to vincent landon has nothing to do with her her gender actually it has to do with his need for a child and to some extent her finally embracing a parent right at the beginning of the movie she drives her dad off a road right you know uh yeah and by the end of the movie she's found a father figure yeah you know she who she like you know picks up off the floor at one point like when he's pretty damn close to death like she pulls him up yeah no this you know this movie does have a lot to say about sex and gender and um uh, you know the roles that they play um certainly it has a bit to say about masculinity Mm -hmm. uh it's i I think the one thing that i thought was really incredible that this movie does um it's almost a throwaway point but I, i love that it's there 
is um so we you know when we first see her as an adult when we first see uh, alexa alexia as an adult um we see her as as this stripper at, at this like car show where mm-hmm. she's gyrating and grinding in a car like we've seen in like a million and one music videos and just look in the background yeah but at a level that's like beyond those <laughs> it's it's up there but i mean you know like, like we, we've seen it it's it's yes, it's yes, yes. you know it's, it's up there so we watch her dance at the beginning one way we watch her then later on dance in very very much the same way on top of the fire trucks yes yeah, slightly more subdued actually very funny scene watching all the men well yeah because here's the thing so, so now she's presenting as male Yes. And she's dancing in the same way, yes. and nobody knows how to accept it. It's like this yeah. is really, really cool. Which, because at the beginning of the movie, we watched her do like move her body in this way, in this very, very provocative yeah. way. And you know, most of the audience is just totally in it with her, you know, with her lust, with her physicality, with her desire. We do we watch her do it again, presenting male, and all of a sudden it's like, I don't know how to react. Not really, the really neither, funny bit. Neither do the firefighters. The really funny bit is that she's doing it for an audience of firefighters who are like yeah. the manliest. I mean, it's like literally yeah. calendars. Yeah. And, and not just manliest, but they are all dancing, like yeah. they're having like a party and super homoerotic. Oh, yes. It's That's very, what I love. It's yeah. actually very funny that there's this unspoken homoerotic kind of thing going on yeah the second that she makes it explicit that's yeah. when it becomes uncomfortable it's like they're oh like, man they're all good being shirtless and dancing with each other yeah but the second yeah. that you make it like a little bit too provocative it's like yeah. oh wait a second not that there's anything wrong with that but no exactly it's that like, vibe right it's like that that's the crazy thing is like she because she's trying to hide the pregnancy like she is totally fully dressed like it's it's a complete bookend of her opening dance where she's wearing precious little she's fully covered but how she moves and how she touches herself it just throws all of these alpha dogs for a complete loop like you can see there's one of them who was kind of into it but that's that's what i love is you know we as a society if we see you know a girl half dressed in a in a in a beer commercial we're fine and we don't even bat an eye but you know put like little nas x doing the same thing on saturday night live and everybody freaks this movie this movie like calls very very clear attention to that in that way that you just really uh explained quite well that all these yeah, I, burly I, guys are totally cool just like you know basically having a half-dressed mosh pit but you know if you yeah, move just a I little too I'll, into it then it's like oh man why'd you go and make a gay i'll take i'll take back what i said about it not having anything to say about or whatever whatever i said about it not saying <laughs> too much I think what I meant is I don't think that it's making any kind of didactic statement about any of these things. No, right. No, it's not. And and like I said, it's not pathologizing these things. It's not making it. um, It's not making it like the drama of the movie is not one of her femininity and masculinity. No, that's sort of an ancillary thing that is also going on in the film. That's certainly related because it's related to her sexuality and, and, and these things, you know, but it's it's um, it's not posi- it's not like you can watch the movie and be like, well, that is a movie about gender. I, I think it's aiming for something a bit more complex than that. Yeah, that it's sense. it's it's not overt. Like this is the thing is in in a lesser 
filmmaker's hands. Like this is only the second uh, feature I've ever seen by Du Cournot. Mm-hmm. I, for all, I think it's only her second feature period. I, I don't think so, she yeah. has others that I don't know about, but you know, she is quite clearly a master filmmaker and a master storyteller in that she is able to tell this story, have a lot of these threads that we can pull on yeah. and for it not to be the, masculinity movie about the woman who strips the car yeah you know that's what i'm saying in the hands of a lesser filmmaker this would be the movie where the woman strips the car it is also that but yeah it's it's more but it's also not and 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 i think it's both more than that but i think it's also despite winning the palm door which would seem to confer on it some like really like heaviness like a heaviness about it uh it's not heavy at all it's an it's a piece of entertainment like it operates on that level very, very well. Um, I don't think, uh, I don't, th- you know, in that way, it reminds me a lot of Parasite, actually, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, completely different films, but Parasite is also, it's just a very entertaining movie yeah. um, that also happens to have this depth uh, to it that's that's deeply embedded. And, and this was similar, which gets back to, I think you were going to say there's three dance scenes, right? Uh, uh, were, were you saying that? I don't remember. Uh, but oh but yeah, I there, forgot there was the another. Third. There was another dance scene, which is with Vincent Landon, and that dancing has a very, very different um, sort of place within the movie that has much, much more to do with a kind of um, freedom of of the soul, where it's like what happens when the soul lifts because the weight of grief and longing and all these things. Uh, you know, when that lifts, you can dance, you can feel alive. Right. Yeah. I think what I love about that scene is we get, we, we see this guy and, you know, we've already talked about what this movie is trying to say about masculinity. Here is this guy who is a fire chief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talk about one of the most alpha jobs that exists in the world, you know, fire station chief has got to be up there. And he's, at, at his youngest, he is 55. At his okay, very, very sure. youngest, he's 55. But he's still shooting himself up with steroids. He is still like hitting the, the, the CrossFit gym, like to mm-hmm. keep himself just so damn ripped and like failing. Like he is just hanging on to this physical presence yeah. by the slimmest of threads. And at what, like when his quote unquote son comes back into his life, mm-hmm. he is able to let some of that go mm-hmm. and, and be, you know, and, and allow himself to follow nature's path, to be a little bit more present, to be a little bit more joyous, to not yeah. be so damn serious. It, it also takes beautiful. him, it takes him some time and it's in fits and starts and he goes through some darker moments. Uh, but even that tracks how they sort of come to build a relationship with each other over the mm-hmm. course of, uh, of their time together. He, his is a great performance too. It's just to also like incredibly physical. Um, and I mean, Landon is great in general, like he's just a great actor. Um, and yeah, he's, he's really kind of given some, some, <laughs> hardy material to work with on this one it's it's a beautiful performance like it really takes a a certain kind of actor to find 
to find the sweet spot in the middle of all this, like to find the sadness, mm-hmm. to find the the bravado, um, you know, to to find the vulnerability because there is, you know, eventually that's that's where all of this goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of where this movie eventually, like, I'm not going to really talk too much about it, but I think about where this movie ends up mm-hmm. and it ends somewhere incredible that like, you know, it, it is deeply, deeply personal, um, deeply, deeply intimate. And mm-hmm. he embodies all of that with, with, with his, with his performance in a way that, you know, you really have to commit to in order mm-hmm. to pull off. Mm-hmm. And can I and can I just say, the the last scene of the movie, um, which that I won't spoil. No, even though I don't know, yeah. we've spoiled enough. But like, well, the, I won't <laughs> spoil it. But I will say that it's kind of a perfect scene to end the movie because it encompasses everything that I've described about the movie, which is that you know, it's got all the the body horror. It's got uh, uh, the kind of. Uh, sort of genuine sen- sentimentality like like not in a bad way like in a in sort of like a, a beautiful way um it's got sort of a, a hint of tragedy uh it's quite deranged um and also it's it's actually quite funny because what the the actual thing that happens is so absurd uh and when you finally see like the results of like what you've been waiting for this whole movie basically there's like a a comic intensity to it, which like, yeah. again, I, I remember sitting at when the movie kind of right when it ended, I think people were sort of like, there's like a moment of stunned as like the credits start. And then immediately people like laughing because there's sort of a release about it, like to a release of the absurdity. Like you're kind of like, Oh wow. That's where it ended up. Um, I, I think because, you know, at the end of the day, like you know how kind of how i started this conversation by saying that this movie is respectful it's also just incredibly sweet and when you see the way this movie is sold and the way this movie is talked about it's not what you expect like when you come through this journey with with, with these characters and you're surrounded by fire and chrome and grease like you don't expect to be coming out of it and thinking wow, that was a really, really sweet story about people like looking for belonging. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yet that's exactly where we go. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say, I think that a lot of the, um, the sort of mm, hype and buzz around the movie does it a bit of a disservice in a way because it focuses so much on the, on the sort of shocking nature of it and everything that it maybe sets people up for a different movie than it is. Like, I think a lot of people might go into it expecting a new French extremity movie. They might be expecting something like Martyrs where it really is about punishing the audience in a way. And this is the opposite of it. It's not about punishing. It's not about punishing the audience. I mean, let's be fair. Okay. Because what a lot of people are reacting to, and in some ways how this movie is sold is that, that first life, by Alexia, that life she's running away from, that life that, as I said before, the movie says, okay, all of that, that's my past. It's like, mm. yeah, that's my past, mm-hmm. but that's a really, really bonkers past that you showed us and you brought us into and yeah. you led us along like while you bludgeoned people to death, while you grinded on a car, while you shook the car and, mm-hmm. and started leaking, you know, motor oil, mm-hmm. that, that we saw that, that happened. 
uh, you know, like it's one thing for you to tell us this was my life. It was another thing. This movie does very much what we tell movies to do. Show me, don't tell me. Yeah. This movie but- showed us. And that's what a lot of people are fixated on. Now, is that like you're saying, is that fair? I don't know. And I would probably say you're right. It's not fair. I just think on that, on that I just part think of the it's, journey. It's reductive in a way. Oh yeah. And I think, and I think that's why I, I like, we started the conversation and my first thing was that it's funny. I want yeah. people to understand at least what I think makes the movie good is not that stuff specifically. No, that stuff is part of what makes it good. The, yes. the horror elements and the absurdity and all of that, but the, the, or the shocking, you know, shocking elements, but, but to sell it as like, go to the movies to experience just shock after shock. I don't think that sells the movie, right? The no. same way that I don't think it sells it right to say, this is, uh, um, uh, like a Claire Denis movie or something, you know, because right. th- those are, you know, trouble every day. I mean, it has its moments where it's kind of funny, you know, Vincent Gallo's sort of uh, absurd in his way, but that's a very dark and serious movie. This is not, it, it has some darkness there. It's not unserious, but it's also entertaining mm-hmm. and, uh, and has sort of a sweetness about it, as I've mentioned. And, I think that, you know, if you go into it, if I, if I tell people like, you won't believe this movie where she, this crazy murderer woman has sex with a car and gets pregnant off of it and then pretends to be this guy's son, uh, uh, who's like, you know, his son's been missing for 11 years and there's all this horrible body horror stuff, um, but I'm telling you, it's also like really funny and really sweet and like, you know, I think that sets them up better for, for what's in it. Yeah. And that's, um, and that is the difference is that there are a lot of filmmakers out there. There's a lot of storytellers out there that would just totally hang their hat on that first 40 minutes that would yeah. just decide to go with shock and awe. And what is the craziest thing that I can put on the screen? You know, what is the most operatic off the wall mind explosion of a concept yeah. That seems too absurd for cinema. And I'm going to run with that. It's like, you know what? There's a, there's a lot of people that can do that. Like, you know, you, mm-hmm. we can just, we can play Mad Libs and just, you know, decide to film it, mm-hmm. but that isn't going to make an impact the same way that a movie like this, that wants to deal with fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, that wants to deal with children looking for parents and parents looking for children and how that can ultimately lead to catharsis. Yeah. That is what makes this movie special, yeah. not you know that she grinds on a car. You know, when you described that, it reminded me of, uh, and this takes me back to my James Brooks thing. Did you ever see the, um, that, I think it was like the first thing like this on the internet, the the Shining trailer, where it's like a sort of life-affirming comedy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That's what that reminds me of. Yeah, right? very much. Yeah. I, it's just a, it's just a, a, a father looking for a son and a son looking for a father, but it's also the shining, you know, it's like, it's like it, the, the movie has that quality to it. It's, yeah. it's, 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 um, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it other than like when the movie was finished, I felt really good, Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is like not something you normally say about a movie that has stuff in as disturbing as no. this movie has, you know? No. And that's, that, that, that's the thing. Like I've seen a lot of movies that want to be all shock and awe and I leave them and I just feel shelled. Yeah. Right. This, yeah. I felt as like, 
I'm not going to forget that. I'm not going to forget this feeling. I'm like, it's given me just so much to chew on. Like it, you know, we've been talking about this for the better part of an hour and I feel like we've still skipped over an awful lot of things. And, and, and that's, that's what I love about a movie. I love a movie, even if it's not perfect. And this movie is not perfect. Like I'm, I'm coming down very, very positively on it, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not what I'd call like the greatest movie I've ever seen, or maybe not even the greatest movie this year. But I'm like, no, but it is just probably like, yeah, there's a few others on that. It's just so right. affecting and it's just going to stay with me. And I, I, yeah. I, I do love it so much for, for what it went set out there to do, yeah. what these actors committed to, what the, the story that this director has chosen to share with us. Um, it, it's, it's audacious and beautiful yeah. in that way. Yeah. And um, I'm looking forward to rewatching it a bunch. Yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, we end the uh, the matinee cast uh, review section with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Corey, a tad, what would be your souvenir from to ten? If you could keep something, I guess it's a spoiler. But I really want that baby. <laughs> put, a, put it on the shelf or something, you know. <laughs> there is going to be like you know Breaks how there are like out. yeah you, you know how they're like collectibles made like props like you can buy like yeah, a full yeah. size oh, you're yeah. gonna see in in a few years you're gonna see a full size yeah. child to the the to ten child you can put it on the same shelf as like the star child from 2001 it did not look the way that i expected it to look no and i was kind of delighted by that yeah um, but it's also horrendous and oh, yeah. uh and yeah it's uh that's a good one okay I want, um, there's a visual that I want, actually. It's just one of these like still frames that if I could keep this and like frame it, I would. Um, I call it the reverse Pieta because it's the daughter holding seemingly the dead father as opposed to okay. the actual Pieta, which is the mother mm-hmm. holding the dead son. Um, it's, it's gorgeous and mm-hmm. it's really tender. And, you know, we know, we know that she's not actually his child, but it's like in that moment, she's the daughter, but she's also the son and she's cradling the father. And, and it's just so sweet and so beautiful. And it's shot in just such an amazing way. This is late in the movie where, Alexia's head is shaved. Mm-hmm. She's she's especially gaunt. Like she's she's hiding her pregnancy and everything, but she just, you know, she's got this moment about her where in this moment of holding her her, you know, near death father, she is she's just so fluid in this in this expression. She's both masculine and feminine and it's a gorgeous shot. I wish mm-hmm. I could have it uh mm-hmm. framed somewhere. But that's that would be my souvenir is that one particular shot. Um we end every matinee cast with a rating. Uh on a scale of one to four stars. Corey Tad, I know you don't like her D ratings, but you're gonna what would you give to ten I mean, on a scale of, of one to four? Out of four, I don't know, like three, three and a half, something like that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a three and a half. I, I bet you in like a year or two, this is going to be a four star movie for me. Once just a few more viewings have sure. burnt in a few more of those nerves. It's an incredible movie, whether it's like four or three and a half, this movie is just absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, I, I hope we have, if somebody's listening to this and they haven't seen it, I hope we haven't actually spoiled the effects. I really don't think we have. Like, I, I feel like I could tell somebody everything that happens in this movie and you still wouldn't understand it until you sat in that dark room and just let it unfold. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't think it's a, on the one hand, you don't want to give away the surprises, but on the other hand, it's, I think the movie holds together in a way where it really is the journey of it that matters more than, uh, than kind of the specific plot points. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's a really, 
amazing exercise in visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, not in the way that like, oh, look, that's handsome. Like not in um, not in a Terrence Malick, look at that gorgeous shot kind of way. But mm-hmm. just like you said, we've got a character who spends a lot of this movie not talking. And yet she says a lot from scene to scene to scene in her posture, in her face, in what she's wearing, and how she's wearing her hair. Um, it, it's it's an incredible movie, and I really hope people do see it um, and that they go into it with, with an open mind. Um, hey, you might have hated this movie, and I would totally understand why. I, I think you're wrong. Yeah, but, you know, I, I, I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, I'll hear it. I'll listen to it. If you hated this movie, I'll have that conversation. Uh, you may think I'm being too hard on this movie, and it's a modern masterpiece. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca. Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA. Or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Julia Ducourneau's Tatan? We are going to take a very quick break and come back after this on the other side and talk about more movies. So come join us. back he's Corey Tad. i'm ryan mcneil we've been talking about to 10 it's matinee cast 269 start of a brand new season in a new home uh you know hopefully we've got a new run of movies ahead of us uh after after a long time of really searching to find them even though they were actually quite plentiful all things considered um we've been talking about to 10 this is the moment where we Flip the record over and play the other side. Some further readings, some some further viewing, some uh, commonalities. Um, Corey, why don't you get us started? What was a movie that you thought about when when you uh, came away from Tatan? Well, I mean, I don't know if I thought about it when I came away from Tatan, but when you posed this to me, like, oh, you got to come up with a, a movie that's connected. I was thinking about, you know, what are the kind of a lot of the themes in Tatan, and you got sort of, uh, I mean, there's some of the father father child stuff, but. Uh, you know, a lot of what I was thinking of was, you know, you've got an intersection of a certain kind of coming of age with, you know, some some sexuality and, and, and that mixed in. You've got the way that that intersects with something about cars and how sexy cars are in a certain sense. And so uh, given that, my mind went to uh, American Graffiti by George Lucas. Oh, nice. Uh, I love that movie so much. Completely different movie, but it's one of my favorite movies. I, I am like a, trolling a little bit with this pick, but I, I think like, you know, when I'm thinking about movies that are not about cars, you know, it's not Fast and the Furious, but, uh, but sort of use cars in a way to sort of set the scene for these other themes that are going on, it doesn't sure. get better than than American Graffiti. If there was a cut of American Graffiti that was two hours long, that was just the scenes of like you know them driving by on in cars and like yelling at each other random things and just listening to Wolfman Jack's uh, radio station, I would like, watch that movie. It would be great. I could just watch that for hours and hours. It's 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 the best. I mean, it's it's crazy because. Cars as an entity are a really, really crazy thing to consider that they are something that are now 
about a hundred years old, maybe a little bit more than a hundred years old, um, and have just had such a wild journey over the course of just a century, where they were first a thing of luxury, where they became a thing of like the utmost necessity and dependency just after that, um, then turned into uh, this vessel for freedom. You know, when you go through like the fifties and the sixties and the seventies and now are this like just ugly fact of life. Um, you know, there, there's yeah, a, there's somebody out there the planet. Yeah. Well, just destroying the planet, but also, you know, I have heard them referred to as cup holders with wheels, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. for a lot of the world, like you need it, but it's just, it does, it serves no actual real aesthetic or expressionistic purpose mm-hmm. and how in a movie like Tatan, you can see the automobile fetishized, like literally fetishized mm-hmm. both by the dancer and by the people who go there to see the car and the dancer and the camera of course and the camera oh yes yeah of course american graffiti loves the cars because Mm -hmm. the characters in the movie are of that age and of that time where they love the cars yeah and that kind of era was just tipping towards its end Mm -hmm. when american graffiti dropped in 70 well american graffiti 74 American Graffiti came out in 73. Yeah, but it's set in the past. Uh, it's set in 62. The yeah. tagline for the movie was, where were you in 62? But uh, even yeah. that 62 feels like the dying embers of the 50s. Yes. Right? So it's like the, the point of the movie, in a way, is like these yeah. characters who are all transitioning into adulthood, and then Vietnam happens and whatever. That's sort of like the post-text of the movie, right? Right. right. Um, but cars at that point represent, you know, like you were saying, a certain kind of freedom. But it's an interesting freedom because it's not characters who are like using it. It's not like Easy Rider. They're not like no. getting on a car and like go going across the country. It's not Tulane Blacktop. No, it's it's, uh, it's their it's Saturday night. They're literally just like hanging around in their in their town. Yeah, driving, they're driving up and laps. down the road. Yeah, if you were to grab the average city dwelling seventeen or eighteen year old and say on Saturday night you're just going to drive in like a sixteen block radius. F- like over and over yep. for and people are two or three hours in and out of your car yeah. and you're gonna, That's like, gonna they would yeah. say that you, they would say you're insane yeah. they would say what is the what is the fun in that you know yeah. and yet you know in this movie not only do you see what the fun in that is you want to do it yeah of course are you, you know? kidding yeah, yeah Plus, the cars are just gorgeous oh yeah no okay good i i like where your head's at that's a very yeah. very good call um okay well you know what i'll stay with the cars and I'll go with the obvious comparison, which is a very, very different movie, which I think a lot of people feel like that is what they're getting when they go into Titan, but it is not what they get when they sit down to Titan. And I'm going to go back to 96 and talk about Crash mm-hmm. by uh, David Cronenberg. Please do not confuse this movie with Crash by Paul Haggis mm-hmm. in 2004. Very different kind of Crash. I mean, this movie literally fetishizes the cars. This well, movie. I mean, not quite the cars. <laughs> it's it fetishizes car accidents yes uh and the the mangled metal uh, uh and death associated with cars it's yeah it's very uh um yeah. based based on a based on a book by jg ballard from 1973 which by the way let me tell you you ever want to get dirty looks on public transit read crash in public mm-hmm you know, I, I I got less looks reading Venus and Fur than I did reading Crash, but this movie is nasty. This movie is not nearly as 
loving or as sweet um, as Tatan. This movie is very much about the release, about the fetishization. It's just purely mechanical. Like, pardon the pun, but everything about this movie is just chasing the dragon um, and, and trying to get a, a, a bigger high. It's got some incredibly talented people in it. Deborah Unger, James Spader, Elias Kateas, Holly Hunter. It is well-crafted. I'm not, when I say that it's, it's ugly and it's just chasing the release, I talk about its, its attitude. And a lot yeah. of that comes back to the text. Um, but it's, it's this interesting little, like, relic of 90s Canadian cinema mm-hmm. that I think people think they're getting with Satan, but they're really not. Were you at uh, the screening at the Lightbox that Viggo Mortensen hosted? I wish I was. Uh, that was a wonderful, yeah. Viggo Mortensen was in town. He hosted screening of uh, Passion of Joan of Arc and then uh, a screening of Crash, which... That is the wildest uh, double feature ever. Well, I mean, they were in separate days, but yeah. Still. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, the crash screening then, of course, during the Q&A afterward or the conversation, Cronenberg himself showed up and they were they were kind of uh, talking about the film and and uh, and working together as well, of course, as they've done on a beautiful print as well. That's a movie that really lingers in a way that's that's very interesting because it, it, it's very disturbing and it's disturbing not just because of like sort of some of the gross stuff that's in it but because of the character's relationship t- to that gross stuff, the yeah. way in which they get off, you know, whether it's like recreating like the Jane's, the Jane Mansfield accident and, and, and stuff like that, where you're reminded of not just like the fact that it's cars that are being destroyed. It's also people and they're yeah. getting off on this. That stays with you. I think even if you don't like the movie that stays with you. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because I would, I much sooner, recommend to 10 for somebody to watch than recommend crash even though like i i respect and i and i admire things about crash but if if somebody wants to watch one or the other i'm going to point them to Tatan like 19 times out of 20 before i point them to yeah, crash. C- cer- certainly if it's someone who's maybe not quite as uh you're not sure how they're going to take certain things i mean I, I in fact i think some of the negative reaction i've seen to Tatan, which you know there's not a ton of it but there is some mm-hmm. and there's more than you think well, yeah, especially like since its premiere at Cannes, a lot of those reactions sort of compare the movie negatively to Crash. Mm-hmm. But I think that that it, that that's not. I don't find that that's fair because I think that there are two movies doing very very different things. Oh, absolutely, um, and aiming for very different things. I don't think that Titan is out to make you feel bad, as we said. Crash is definitely out to like. I don't know about feel bad, but feel disturbed, certainly. Sort of consider a certain way in which sex, sort of sexuality is very much connected to a kind of uh, violence and a kind of visceral, you know, uh, I mean, there, there's in that sense a body horror element, like sex is gross when yeah. you think about it. Yeah. Um, sex is a bit violent when when you think about it, like the act, the actions of it and crash sort of literalizes that in a way that that's, that's quite disturbing to have to reconcile, you know, what else did you have uh, as a, as a possible uh, companion film to Titan? I mean, the biggest thing is like, go watch raw because mm-hmm. I, I know that people watch that, but I feel like it, it was a little bit more of a thing like that, like 
the horror fans were talking about. Tell people what that movie's about, because I kind of feel like it's a movie that's it's you know like not everybody knows exactly what they're getting into when they get into. I mean, Raw. it's it's similarly a bit of a coming of age kind of thing. Uh, it's it's a girl going to 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 a college. She's starting to be a vet. Yeah, but it's also like set up as like this is like where all the vets like you, you want to be a vet, you go here. Like yeah, it's yeah. kind of that kind of situation. And, you know, she's basically like going through uh, uh, college and dealing with that. And there's family stuff and all this, all these things. And she happens to have cannibalistic urges. Despite being a vegetarian. Despite being a vegetarian. Uh, yeah, she starts to act upon it. That's where you get some of the body horror elements. It's, it's quite, quite gross. Um, but it's also just like it's, it's much smaller than Titan. Like it's just a much smaller movie. But um, it's striking. I mean, I remember watching it at the time and quite liking it and thinking it was quite well done um, and not completely loving it, but it stuck in my mind, you know? Yeah. And that's usually a, not always, but it's, it's often a good sign. And especially after seeing Titan, I think I want to go back and watch it. So I certainly think if you haven't seen Raw and you watch Titan, go back and watch Raw. Yeah. Because you, I mean, for the auteurist element of it, that's obvious. But but just generally, if you like Titan, I think you'll like what Raw has to offer. Well, they're both really handsome. Um, oh, yes. You know, like the, the the one thing I must give uh, De Kuno, um just right out of the hop is she knows her way around a camera. Uh, I, I would I would watch I would I would watch her do like a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would watch her do like an instructional video on how to put together a lamp because of how well she knows her way around a camera. She's a master photographer and she always nails the personal relationships. Like that's a movie again about family. That's a movie uh, where there's a friendship uh at at the middle of it and kind of the dynamics of up and down of a friendship and how you know you're kind of thick as thieves at one point but you fall out and nobody Mm -hmm. prepares you in life for what Mm -hmm. it's going to feel like to lose a close friend you know wrapped around (laughs) this vegetarian that all of a sudden becomes a cannibal that's that's the thing is what i love about her movies is it's about something but it's really not about that yep yep so that, that's a great one. Yeah. Uh, well, my other selection for another side, uh, it's another kind of obvious choice. I'm sorry. I'm coming back off a month of, of no podcasting and, and a move. Okay. Uh, so I, I'm not really like flexing my, my, my deep cut d- double features. Um, the other one I, I went with um, is another 1970s movie. Um, I went back to a clockwork orange insofar as we, we saw that movie together. I remember did, the yeah, the yeah. Box. early on, like uh, that was not long after I met that you was, too. Yes. Yeah. A long time ago. It was like a whole bunch of us that went. Yes, there, we, yes, there was. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. If, if, if people can see this in a theater for the love of God do so. Um, but it's interesting to watch the life of this movie because I feel as though as time goes on, this is becoming a bitterer and bitterer pill to swallow Um, Mm. just in the way that times are changing and our attitudes are changing and art is a living, breathing thing, you know, and in 1971, like, don't get me wrong. This movie is still very subversive, very much like the movies we were already been talking about. It's about something, but not actually about that. But Mm. yet you have to watch a movie where these alpha dogs kick the crap out of people for the better part of two hours, get a whole lot of raping in 
and you know ultimately get their free will broken and as fascinating and thought-provoking as all of that is it grows more and more distasteful as time goes on and we have deeper and deeper conversations so it's the kind of thing where if somebody came to me and they told me you know what I have decided that it's really time to put Clockwork Orange on a shelf because I really don't want to go back to that kind of story. I would totally get it because in a lot of ways, they're right. Um, In a lot of ways, I do believe it still has value. And the violence is where the commonality is because the violence of both movies, it's not what I'd call like movie violence. Like they're both kicks and punches and, and just brawls you know like they are how people really get hurt in the world and you know like like the the assaulting and i mean that might be why it's it's a bitter pill to swallow now is it's it's really distasteful to watch because you know that that's what actually happens out in the world it was very controversial at the time still is but Um, yeah oh yeah in that case, that's a movie where the shocking stuff is the, is the subject of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike Titan, I don't think that in Titan the, sh- the shocking stuff is the, is the subject. I think no. it's sort of a accoutrement. Yeah. But uh, in A Clockwork Orange, it really puts you through your paces with the violence and the depravity of it in order to, you know, I mean, it's based on a book, so that it's, it's explored in the book as well, but to explore how society deals with violence whether certain individuals are, are simply, they're just violent people, yeah. um, that, that they have no, no sort of human center to them. It has, you know, famously the ending is not exactly the same ending as the book, no. uh, because, you know, the, it was cut for the, it was cut for the American version of the book. And that's what Kubrick based it on. But the ending that that's the end. So the ending of the movie is this very dark ending where it, you know, they've done this work to transform this guy in this really hideous way, in a way in which you almost wish that they, that it would be reversed because it's so hideous what they've done yeah. to him. Yeah. But then when it is reversed, you're like, ah, oh, crap. This is, yeah. a pro-. you know, so, so it, it, it leaves you in a very uncomfortable place. And I think that there is a real importance, uh, you know, in cinema and in art in general to push where people are willing to to go not just in terms of like literally what's on screen but the things that they're willing that they that they have to then reconcile the same thing with crap what i was saying with crash it's like Mm -hmm. what's disturbing is not just what's on screen i understand if someone's too disturbed by what's on screen to go with it further understandable but i think that if you can make it through that journey of that movie you're you're forced to confront things that are difficult and it's important to confront those things yeah right it's it's important to to try and deal with those things i'll also say uh part of why i remember us seeing it at that screening was i remember there was kind of a row of us uh watching it uh and for the most part we not during those violent scenes but through much of the movie we were laughing quite a oh, lot it's a, well it's absurd like that that's that's the, i mean there the there way that scenes movie... in it that that play like monty python sketches yeah yeah and and there's and and that's where it i remember i had seen the movie several times but that was when it occurred to me that 
you know, I knew the movie was a satire, like was satirical of, of society and, and culture and violence and all of these things. But it didn't occur to me that satire also meant that it that it's actually in a, a certain way a comedy, a very dark comedy. But it it looks at the world through this really darkly comedic lens uh, uh, of of saying like there's these things that are really really disturbing, and there's an irony, a really disturbing irony in the way in which we either accept them or try to control them. Yeah, you know. And then just um, to, you know, just to further that irony, England goes and bans this movie for like 40 years. Sure. Yes. Of course. You know, cause yeah. And so it's, yeah. you know, you can see it's, it's influence on Titan. You can see it's fingerprints on Titan. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not like, I would not say that they're a match set. It's like one mm-hmm. informed the other, the other then took that and like, you know, went onto this whole other uh, lap that it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I see what you're doing, but I think I could do something else mm-hmm. that will, you know, take what you, you know, it, it's literally like, it's very much standing on the shoulders of giants, but, but, but doing it in a way that, yeah, you know, that, that Which has in, its own muscle. In fairness with Kubrick. I mean, that's always the case. It's like, oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I was going to say like yeah. every, every third movie kind of comes back to him. That's kind of yeah, what that's I love. True. Yeah. So, yeah. well, there we go. That is episode 269 of the matinee cast. I am so thankful for Corey that he was able to come by. Um, come on back on Monday, October 18th for episode 270. I'm not quite sure what we're going to talk about yet. We might talk about the eyes of Tammy Faye. We might talk about James Bond. Um, we're in a weird spot in the release schedule, so we'll see how we feel in two weeks. Um, Corey's writing can be found all over the damn place. Uh, you said people are best to follow you on Twitter these days. Mm-hmm. Are you yeah. back on Twitter? I know. I know you have a love hate relationship with Twitter. Yeah, but I've been back on for a while. Uh, haven't haven't taken a break in a, in a bit. Gotcha. Um, uh, where can people yeah. find you if they want to follow? Uh, Corey Atad. C O R E Y uh, with an E, uh, A T A D. Yeah. Your, uh, your branding game is on point. I love it. Well, people always misspell Corey. It's just, uh, that, that's not even branded. That's just my whole life. They're like C O R Y. I'm like, mm, no there's an e in there. Yeah, there it's, it's that E in there. Thank you very much, sir. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them in the usual places. Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Apple, uh, Blueberry, Pocket Casts. You can also find them in some new places. TuneIn, Radio Public, CastBox, and Podchaser. Uh, if I have not mentioned a platform that you use, first of all, how are you hearing me now? Second of all, drop me a line. It's really easy for me to add them to a new platform, and I'd be happy to do it. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free, and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Tatan can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at the matinee.ca on Twitter. You can at me. Why not? I'm matinee underscore CA. There's also Facebook, facebook.com slash dark matinee. Any final thoughts, sir? Uh, I don't know. Go see Tatan. Go yes. see uh, Little Man What Now. Yes. Uh, uh, check it out. Do, do, do a YouTube search. I'm pretty sure it's on there. Yeah. Here, here. For Corey, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. <laughs>